This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. We're going to learn a little Talmud Devarah, but we're going to first talk about a different subject. I think we're up to Gimel on Torah Devarah. Okay, so totally, totally different subject we're going to talk about tonight called, um, what should we call it? Self-sabotage. We'll explain to you what that means. So, I was up in the ranch on Tuesday night, Tuesday, and I had a meeting with my girls and with my staff, and um, I'd like to talk a little bit about the subject that we talked about because I'm finding it happening um, everywhere. Self-sabotage, what does that mean? And it, it actually, the Torah talks about it a lot because anything that we're experiencing today psychologically, emotionally, whatever we're experiencing, it's all, it's all happened before. Nothing, in Kaddosh Tachas Hashemesh, there's nothing, there's nothing new under the sun. So what am, what am I talking about? So we find that um, people do well, people do well. On, on, on Yom Kippur you say all the Achets, and then next Yom Kippur you're saying the Achets again. How come? Why did you, why did you, on Yom Kippur, say that I'm not going to do this anymore and forgive me, and then the, the whole year you're doing it again. So, I'm finding that some people who are who are going through trauma and going through pain, um, they they get better, and then they relapse. I mean, the relapse rate in the world of uh, of rehab is 90 percent on a 40, 30 or 45 day program. Whether whatever the addiction is, whatever the, whatever they're going through. Mental health, addiction. So the the percentage of on, on a forty five or thirty day program is a ninety percent relapse. End up doing it again. The question is why. So it's a very interesting concept, and some of us in this room have gone through it and gone going through it, and that is that you get better. Like we had some girls that were doing very well for three months, amazing, amazing, and then all of a sudden they just totally went back the, the other way. Um, the reason is that a person who's in pain gets used to that pain, and that's their comfort zone, even though it hurts. It's sort of like a guy who gets up every day with a headache, and then one day he gets up, he has no headache, and he's thinking he's dead. Well, I must be dead. My whole life I have headaches when I wake up. I don't have headaches. Well, maybe I have a tumor that's stopping me from getting a headache. Like, not a tumor that's giving me the headache, but like, oh my gosh, why don't I have a headache? And you start freaking out, and you're getting crazy. Like, I'm not comfortable. So what I'm finding at this meeting that we had, we all spoke out our feelings, is that, um, yeah, you feel good, but you're not used to feeling good, and you're very uncomfortable in that feeling. So my whole life I'm in pain, and I'm hurting, and now I'm having fun, and I'm smiling, and I should be fantastically happy, and want more of that. But what happens is, no, I don't want more of that, because I don't like this feeling. I'm not used to this. So in the spiritual world, like, when someone does tshuva, right? Avera, gores, avera. I never understood that. Like, because they did an avera, Hashem, you're going to make me do another avera? That doesn't sound very fair. Mitzvah, gores, mitzvah, right? And the answer is, that if I'm used to doing averas, when I stop doing averas, I'm not comfortable. I'm like, I'm used to doing this. I'm used to always looking at my phone, whatever I'm doing that's wrong, right? And now I'm doing great, and I'm like, wow. But 
but I don't, I don't feel good. Yes, I'm doing good, but I don't feel good. You could, you could be improving and doing better, but it's just a strange feeling, and therefore I don't want that feeling. In the medicine world, people take medicine. So in the beginning, I thought that when people take medicine for mental health, whatever it is, they, the biggest problem is they stop taking it, and they stop taking it, and then they relapse, and then you have to change the medicines, and they don't really work, and you have to remake whatever. So, like, why did you stop taking medicine? If you were, if you were now doing much better, you were, you were ADD, and you couldn't concentrate, and now you're taking your ADD medicine, and you're focusing, and you're the best in the class. Why did you stop taking your medicine? So the answer that we always thought was, because now I feel good, I don't need it anymore. That's what I always thought. The problem with that theory is that that girl who did that, now she stopped taking her ADD medicine and she's bad in class and she's getting into trouble and she can't concentrate. So we're like, why did you stop? You know I'm right, so I'm going to start again. And when she starts again, she gets better and she stops again. Now, one second. You know from the first time that if you stop, you're going to go back into having problems. So it can't be that you think that once well, I'm doing well now, I can stop my medicine, I'm going to be okay. You know that stopping your medicine, you're not okay. So why do you stop your medicine? And the answer is because you're sabotaging yourself because you're not used to concentrating in class and you're not used to feeling good and you want to go back to what you are used to, even if that is pain. So a lot of kids that are off the derech, a lot of kids that are in depression, we try to get them out of the depression and they're like getting out of the depression then all of a sudden they're back in the depression and why are you back in the depression? Because that's my comfort zone, being in bed, not getting out of bed, not eating, whatever... Whatever that is, again, I don't, I don't want to get into too much. I don't want to trigger too much. But in eating disorders, right, in eating disorders, this girl is telling me, like, I'm fat, and, like, she looks like she came out of a concentration camp. Right? You're not fat, right? but I'm fat, and she won't eat because she's already a year or a year and a half not eating. Now, now eating's good. So we start her back, and, and she goes to the doctor, and they're working on it, and she's gaining her 12 pounds, and she's and on the list, everything's happy, everyone's happy. And then all of a sudden, four months later, she stopped eating. And why did you stop eating? You're doing great. And the answer is, because I'm not used to eating. So even though eating is good for me, I'm not comfortable with that feeling of putting food in my mouth. So, so like, how do you fix that? So, and then a girl said, very interesting, and whoever's listening, there's some of us that understand what I'm saying, and some of us are like, what is he talking about? She said to me, you know what my biggest problem with, with feeling good? Because, Baruch Hashem, the ranch has really been working very, very well lately, really unbelievable, and they're really all getting better, and then, like, for some reason, like, they don't like it. Like, I want to leave. I'm like, well, why do you want to leave? You're doing amazing. Because, I don't know, I just, I just, I don't like doing amazing. I don't like being happy. So I asked this girl, what do you mean you don't like being happy? Everyone's searching for happiness. Everyone in this room wants to be happy. No, not everyone in this room wants to be happy. Everyone, everyone in this room wants to be what they're used to. Not everybody wants to be happy. Everyone, so she says to me, as a Jewish girl, and Jewish women have always guilt, and women have guilt. Jewish women have more guilt. Women are always blaming. I'm, I'm working with women for a very long time. They're always blaming themselves when they have nothing to do with it, and it's not their fault. It's just, I could have, I should have, I would have. like, what are you talking about? Right? And guys are the opposite. We're the opposite. We're like, it's never our fault. It's her fault. It's his fault. It's someone else's fault. We don't have any guilt. It's everyone else is guilty. Women... They're guilty. No matter what, they, they feel guilty. And Jewish women, like, they feel like crazy guilt, right? That's, we understand that. So this girl says to me, you know why I, 
I want to leave. I don't. I, I'm doing too well here, and I, and I like it, and I like myself. I don't deserve it. I don't deserve to be happy. I said, what? I don't deserve to be happy. I'm not a good person. I don't deserve to be happy. I said, every person deserves to be happy. No, I don't deserve to be happy. Because you know what? Because I'm not normally happy. I'm not used to it. I'll give you an example. All the girls that come to my share, they know that when I have to read from inside, I take off my glasses. Or I put my glasses on my head. I stopped doing that because people thought maybe I had two eyes up here. They weren't sure exactly. It messes up the film. So when I, when I learn, if I have to read a passage, I cannot see anything right now in the Chumash. I can't see anything. So I have to take off my glasses and I have to look. I put it back on my glasses, right? Sometimes I'll give a shear for half an hour. I'm not wearing my glasses. But I can't see anything without my glasses. So they have these new glasses. Not new. It's already a few years, right? That are called progressive glasses. The way progressive glasses work is the top half of your glass is far-sighted and the bottom part of your glass is nearsighted. So your, your brain trains your, your, your eyes that when, you, when I'm looking at you, my eyes are looking through the top of my glasses. When I'm looking down here now, which I don't see anything because I'm not wearing progressive glasses, so it's looking through the bottom of my glasses. So when you drive a car, you can see far, and then when you're looking at your speedometer and everything, your eyes drop and they look through the bottom of your glasses. So they get trained. So I was like, that's amazing. I don't got to wear those thick reading glasses, right? And I don't have to take off my glasses every 10 minutes. My davening is like this and like this, like the whole time. So she sells, I bought them, and they're very expensive. There's no lines, you can't see anything. Very expensive. I think they're like, they were like $500 or more. Very expensive, progressive lenses. Really good progressive lenses. So I put them on, right? I get into my car, and the whole time I'm going like this, like this, because your eyes didn't get used to it yet. So you have to move your head. So she told me for the first three days, you're going to have to, if you want to read, you're going to have to go like this to look through the bottom of your glasses. It's going to be a lot of head movement. But after three days, your brain takes over. You won't, you won't even think about it. Automatically, when you read, your eyes will do that automatically. Because I never made it to the third day. I never made it. The first day, I was going cuckoo. I was like, I'm not doing this. And, and I have a $700 pair of glasses sitting in my drawer for a year and a half. Because I'm just, I'd rather get do something, even though it's stupid, to keep taking off your glasses and putting on your glasses a whole day, right? And it's not even good for your eyes. But I'm not, I'm not, I'm used to this. That's why I don't have a problem with, with, with this phone because I'm used to this phone. So I like this phone. And I have to tell you the truth that in Eretz Yisrael, this phone didn't work a few years ago. So I took my, my secretary's iPhone, an old iPhone 3, whatever it was, because it was the only thing that worked in Israel. I hated it. But, but in my phone, if I want to write end, I have to go through three digits to get to the end. Right? So it takes me 20 minutes to say, people text me like, why don't you text me back? I'm like, to write hello, it takes me 15 minutes. Because I have to go, everything I have to go through three, and if you go too fast, go too fast, it just changes the letter that you're writing. So, so you can sit, if I gave this to any of you, you'd be sitting here all day, right? So, so in Eretz Yisrael, I had this phone. It was an iPhone, it's fantastic. Because you, you push one letter, and then it tells you what the word is. Right? Like A, and it says and. It's like, you could pick from three different things. Not on this thing, right? So my secretary said like, so... So now you're going to you're gonna use an iPhone, right? It was like so easy. I'm like, I hate it. What do you mean you hate it? It's like unbelievable, right? And the answer is, I'm used to this. So even though it doesn't work nearly as well, and it takes much more time, and it's old, it's what I'm used to. So even though it's not as good, we live in, in our lives, we, we, we get used to things, and even though they're bad habits and they're not good for us, that's, that's what makes us happy. 
So I, I those glasses are still sitting there until I decide that for three days I'm going to suffer, I'm going to go through this, and then, I'll, then I won't have to take my glasses off anymore. But you know what? They're sitting there ready for two years. As long as I can take my glasses off and put them on, I'm not going to change. So, so yes, you could, you, could, you could live in pain so long that you, you're not comfortable with being happy. You're just not comfortable with it. So you relapse. You self-sabotage. You hurt yourself. You stop growing because it's, it's very nice and it's very good. It's not who I am. It's not what I'm comfortable with. So we realize that there's a, there's a rehab in Utah where I really learned a lot of the stuff by the Mormons that I know, and they're 14 months. They're 14 months. Why? In three months, they already got you to a good place. What they, what they were saying, what they say is that that's true, but you, if you're only, if you're only three months happy, right, you're not used to that. You're not used to happy. So the minute you leave, you're going back to pain. Because that's what I, it's hard to unbelieve what I'm saying, but it's what I like. I like to be in pain because that's what I'm used to. That sounds crazy, right? Why would you want to be in pain? The answer is, I'm not comfortable being happy. So you're there 14 months, you're there so long in happy, in healthy, in and safe, that's really the word that they use, that you got used to that feeling. So if you got used to that feeling, that feeling won't make you uncomfortable. So it's a matter of time being healthy. And one of the things that we discuss is that, you know, when you go, when you, when you, when you go to a therapist, what happens with a therapist? You go to a therapist, the minute she starts getting to you, and you start dealing with your stuff, you're gone. Of someone who's with a therapist for two years, they never got to her stuff. The minute the therapist says, I know what's going on, now let's make you feel better, you're finished. Everyone knows that. That's why therapists don't get there so fast, because they get there, you're gone. They'll spook you. They'll spook you. I, I'll give you the best example. Shiduchim. So I coach guys, you know, what the, when they go on a date, like what to say, what not to say. We had a whole discussion last week about this, right? So I tell them the first thing you need to know is, Never tell her that you love her, that you like her, that she's great, that you want to marry Do not tell her on the third date that you want to marry her. Because if you tell her on the third date you want to marry her, she's gone. What do you mean, Rabbi? Doesn't she want to know how I feel about her? I'm like, no. No, not so fast. You know why? Because it's going to make her feel very uncomfortable. Make her feel very uncomfortable. I'm telling her how much I like her. I'm telling her how beautiful she is. Like, she's not used to that. That's weird. So if you want to chase her away... Tell her you like her, you want to get married. Guys are already like on the third date to like. She's that's it, it's it, this is it. But don't you can tell me that. Don't tell her that. And and the girls we were talking about last week, yeah, hundred percent. A guy on well, the third date says, That's it, I made up my mind I want to marry you. She's like, Don't ever call me again. There's something wrong with you. Why? Because it's a strange feeling. It's not something you're used to. And therefore I am uncomfortable with this relationship. I'm very uncomfortable with this relationship. And therefore, I don't want to have this relationship. What do you mean? Don't you want to get married? Aren't you dating? No, but not yet. Not so fast, because I'm not used to this. So it's the same thing. When someone's in a lot of pain, and you start showering them with love and care and, and rehab and stuff and good things, they're like, no, 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 no. This is not, this is going too fast. I feel too good about myself. I'm looking in the mirror, and I'm smiling. I don't know that person who's smiling back at me. That's not who I am, Robert Wallstein. So this has to, this has to go... You know, very slowly. And also the same thing, what we do a lot of, everybody wants, like, I want to come, I want to I I do my, 
you know, my therapy. I want to talk about my stuff. Let's, you know, I want therapy every day, 10 hours. I'm like, no way. We'll, it'll kill you. Because you, you, you can't, you know, I was supposed to go for a, col- for a colonoscopy. I had a very bad cold. One thing has really nothing to do with the other. I had a very bad cold. I thought I may have had a little fever. So I called them up the day before. I'm like, should I come anyway tomorrow? Because I was putting it off already. I didn't want to have a, right? I was putting it off already for every three months. I had a different excuse. But this time, I really wasn't feeling well. So she said, no, you cannot, you cannot take a you can't, If you don't feel well and you have a cold and maybe a little fever, no, you wait till you're better and then we'll do it. Why? Because you're not healthy enough. You, you don't do open heart surgery if the guy has the flu. You, you, unless it's a constitutional emergency, you wait till the person gets rid of the flu. So a person has to be happy and be in a good place before you start doing the surgery. So if you're going to start by sitting and, and, and right away, you know what happened to me? This person, right, you, you, we're going to open you up and we're not going to be able to close you up. And God forbid I've seen there's some people that are not in this world anymore because they were opened up about their trauma and then the therapist couldn't close it anymore and the person couldn't deal with their pain. So no, you can't do that. It doesn't work that way. It works like you're opening a, a closet of dirty laundry and all the laundry is going to come down on the person's head. No, you've got to open it a little bit and take out one piece of dirty laundry and wash it and then take out another piece. So, so really the first three months what we do is, yeah, we have pottery and we have art and we have equine therapy and we have um, music and we have dance and we have karate and we have yoga. And like, Rabbi, what are we doing all this stuff? Where, I didn't come to camp. I'm not here to come to camp. I'm here for therapy. The answer is no. You got to be health. You got to be healthy and safe and secure with who you are before we go into your stuff. So a, a person has to understand that 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 going face up right away is very dangerous. You you have to be in a good place for a long time. And and this is I'm not talking Reverend Wallstein stuff. I am talking the Torah. And who was the greatest therapist that ever was in this world? God. God is the greatest therapy. And he had this problem with us because we were slaves for 210 years. We were being beaten and whipped. Our kids were being thrown into the Nile River. Paro was bathing in blood. Right? We, were, we went through, we were in a lot of pain. Right? Moshe Rabbeinu shows up. Imagine you're a slave and they're beating you and you have no money and they're taking your boy. You're watching them take your boy, throw him into the Nile River. You're watching your kids be shechted and Paro's taking a bath in the blood of our children. Okay? Along comes Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshiach, right? And says to Klai, so listen, and Hashem sends him, right? And what does he say? He comes to Klai Yisrael and he says, we're going to get you out of here. We're going to save you. We're going to redeem you. I'm going to take you for a nation, says Hashem. I'm going to be your God. I'm going to take you out of the civilized Mitzrayim. I'm going to be the best rehab that ever happened. I'm going to take you out of the pain of Mitzrayim. And I'm going to bring you to Eretz Yisrael, right? That I promised to give Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. The Jews should have been like, wow. Shiach's here. I don't know how, how we're going to do with Mashiach being here, everybody. I had this discussion in seminary today. I don't know. You know, no iPhones. When Mashiach's here, guys. No movies. No rock and roll music. Nothing. Spirituality, girls, you know what you're going to do when Mashiach comes? You're going to dominate and learn all day. Oh, no. I don't know if I want that. Because I'm used to living in a world of all these good things happening. Fun, games, right? There's no games and fun. The Yitzhar is dead. 
There's no Yitzhahara. You don't even want to do anything wrong. This is terrible. Right? So not everybody wants Mashiach. Why? Of course we all want Mashiach. Because we're used to living in a world with music and drama and, and opera and Broadway and, 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 and everything else. All our Yitzhaharas. Yitzhahara's dead. There's no Yitzhahara. There's no rock and roll music. No. There's no Justin Bieber. There's no movies. There's no television. Nothing. Your iPhone, there's no Facebook. There's nothing. Hashem's going to move the earth an eighth of an inch and all the satellites are going to be gone. Nothing. You're going to put on your phone, it's going to have nothing. You can't watch anything. Oh my gosh. So someone goes like, I don't know about Mashiach. Like, what are you, crazy? Don't we all, don't we all want Mashiach? I know, but nothing? Like, right, well, isn't there a big machlokas what's going to be? Like, it's just going to be regular life. With Mashiach, so that's what you want? You want regular life with Mashiach? Why do you want regular life? I'm telling you, there's no Yetzirah. It's all Hashem. It's all spirituality. Why do you want regular life? Yeah, but the rabbi said, some rabbi said, nothing really is going to change. Like, why don't you want something to change? Because you're used to it. As bad as it is, as disgusting as this world it is, with all the stuff that we're going through, and every, right? That's what you want because that's what you're used to. So you're no different than a kid who's in pain who says, I don't want to get better. I'm stopping to take my medicine because I'm not used to it. You're not any different. Because, I mean, it's good if Mashiach comes, but i got to have my phone. i got to have my phone. Instagram, life without an Instagram? I'm not going to see what she's cooking and how she made it? And how to brush my shaito? And how to do my makeup? No Instagram? I can't follow anybody? What's life today? I'm following the, the cook. I'm following the chef. I'm following this one. I'm following that one. And when Shiach comes, you have to follow Hashem. You have to follow. See, whatever Hashem's doing, you're going to be able to follow Him. You won't be able to get that on the screen. You're actually going to see it. So everyone's like, ooh, I didn't see that. I didn't know that's Mashiach. Really? We're going to have to say, like, we're going to say to Hillel the whole day? Like, why do we have to say to Hillel? We didn't do anything wrong. Like, they all got free. They got crazy. Like, I don't, right? I was like, I'm sorry. Sorry, right? So we're the same. It's all the same. So Kleistra, this is nothing new. So, so Moshe Rabbeinu was like, we're getting out of here. We're taking all their money all their money, we're getting out of here, we're getting the Torah, and then we're going to Israel. The Jews should have said, finally, after 210 years, we're out of here. Let me tell you what they said. They didn't listen to him. Why? From shortness of breath, they were working so hard, and hard work, they didn't listen to him. One second, Rabbi, if they had shortness of breath and they're working so hard, they should have listened to him. The Torah is telling us they didn't listen to him because they were working hard. Just the opposite. They should have listened to him because they're working hard. Along comes the Messiah and says, we're out of here with all their money. The Torah says, no. They're used to working hard. And they're used to not having short breath. They didn't listen to a word he had to say. Mamish, this is from the Torah, that a person in pain doesn't want to get better. They do want to get better, but they don't want to get better. They want to get better because better is what they're supposed to be doing, but they don't want to get better because it's not, they're not used to it. And this, it's a pussy. It's not Rabbi Wallenstein. It's a pussy, but it gets much worse. Much worse. Let's go to Pasha's B'Shalach. And it's continuously all 40 years. Go to B'Shalach. So, Klaishwell realizes... Upar of Hikriv. Paro is the material behind Klai Yisro. 
But Yisrael when they saw say nay, and the Jews lift up their eyes, we hear name Mitzrayim. Oh my gosh, our our masters are are, are behind us. But Yirum they become very scared. Hashem, and they start crying to Hashem. They're stuck. Mitzrayim behind them, the Yam in front of them. So listen to what they tell Moshe Rabbeinu. Aren't there enough graves in Mitzrayim? You took us to die in the Midbar? That you took us out of Mitzrayim. Now here comes something that no one knows. We don't know what the Jews answered Moshe Rabbeinu in Mitzrayim. Now we know they didn't listen to him the first time, right? It says that in the Pasuk. But the second time he told them that we're leaving. Let's go. It's, it's uh, in the middle of the night. We're leaving. What did they tell him? So this is what the Pasuk says. Moshe Rabbeinu, didn't we tell you this in Mitzrayim? Lema to say, Chadal mimenu, leave us alone. Leave us alone. We want to serve the Mitzrayim. What? Moshe Rabbeinu came and told you after all the Makos, they saw Hashem's hand, they saw all the miracles, Moshe Rabbeinu said, we're leaving, we're getting out of here. We're free. They're not throwing your kids in the Nile. They're not shechting them and bathing in their blood. We're out of here. Now we know what they said, because they're repeating it. They said, we told you in Mitzrayim, leave us alone. We want to serve Mitzrayim. It's better to be slaves to die in the desert. Who? told you you're going to die in the desert. I'm in the triumph. I'm telling you, I'm taking you out. I'm saving your life. And they're saying that in the triumph, what did they tell Moshe Rabbeinu? We don't, we, we don't want to leave us here. We want to be servants. You're going to take us and you're going to kill us in the desert? Moshe's like, what are you talking about? I told you I'm taking you to Israel. I never told you I'm going to kill you in the desert. Better to be in pain and be a slave and be what I'm used to, then change. Change is like, you're killing me. I don't want to leave Mitzrayim. Chayisrael did not want to leave Mitzrayim. And the reason they did not want to leave Mitzrayim, they were used to pain. They were used to being a servant. They were used to being a slave. And that was their comfort zone. And leaving Mitzrayim, even though you're taking me to Israel, I'm out of my comfort zone. I'm, I, I'm not, I don't like it because I'm not comfortable with it because I'm not used to it. So the greatest therapist in the world, who was God, knew this. And he said, they're going to be very uncomfortable if I take them to Israel right away. Because they didn't have a chance to get used to it. They don't have the 14-month New Haven, Utah model of getting used to being safe and secure. They're going to end up running back to Mitzrayim. So, it says the first passage in B'Shalach, V'hi B'Shalach Parawasa'am, V'loy nachem elokim derech eretz plishtim. Hashem did not take them through Polishtim to go to Israel. Why? Because if he took them through there, they'd be in Israel in a couple of days. And Hashem said, if I bring them into Israel and I give them everything, they're going to go back to Mitzrayim. And that's what the Pasuk says. They're so used to being servants and slaves that that's their mentality that if I rush them into Israel, they're going to be like... No, no, I know it's very nice. Israel and plants, and I'm not a slave, and I could plant things, and I have money, and I could go to the Mishkan, I could serve, but I, I'm not, I'm not, it's out of my comfort zone. I want to relapse. I want to relapse. I want to self-sabotage. I want to go back to Mitzrayim. And this happened 
ten times in, in the Sefer Shemot and Bamidba, where by the man, take us back to the train, you took us out to kill us. By the slob, you took us out to kill us. By Amalek, you took us out to kill us. A whole time, they're telling Moshe Rabbeinu, we want to go back to Mitzrayim. We miss our fish. We miss our masters. We miss being servants. What do you mean? So when a girl tells me I miss being in pain, I'm like, what are you saying? You want to go back into pain? And the answer is yes. I'm not comfortable being happy. So every time we get to that point that we're happy, we do something to fall back into our pain. And that's why if a person does Averis, a lot of Averis, he's used to doing Averis. It's his comfort zone. He's not used to doing mitzvahs. So even though he knows that mitzvahs is the right thing, Avera Gerez Avera, you start getting used to Avera, that becomes your, your, where your comfort. I'm not comfortable learning. Like, first of all, I don't deserve to learn. Like the girl was saying, I deserve to learn. I did so many Averas, so I don't really deserve to learn. I don't deserve to get Ganeda. And you start making up these stories to beat yourself up in order that you can relapse. And this goes on the whole Tyra. Now, why am I talking about this? Because this is the month. This is the month that you got to get out of your pain. And you got to be happy. And the question is, how do you do that? If I tell everyone in this room to be happy, you're not going to be happy because I told you to be happy. So, so in, in, in Av, where it says, because of the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash, in the month of Av, you should be less happy. It tells us how. Don't eat meat. Don't drink wine. Don't get married. Don't listen to music. Don't go swimming, if you're Ashkenaz, if you're Israel, you're allowed to, right? Whatever it is. And it tells us all these different things that you, to make you sad. To make not sad. We're not allowed to be sad. A Jew always has to be happy. So in Ado, you have to be Mishinichas Ado, Mabim Basimcha. And in Ado, it has to be Mamad Basimcha. But you're always Basimcha. Up, you know, more Simcha in Ado, less Simcha in Ado. But it never says don't have any. It doesn't say Mishinichas of no Simcha. You have to be sad. Chas Fashom. A Jew is never allowed to be sad. Not allowed to be sad. That you're a Jew should make you happy. That you're in this world and you have potential should make you happy. So, yeah, when it tells us how to be less happy, it tells you no me, no what. So, but it doesn't. But now it's telling us to be more happy and you don't tell me how. So in the Shulchan Aruch, it says, I don't know how to do that. What should I do? Drink wine? I don't think so. I don't think that's what they want me to do. Should I eat more meat? In, in Ador, should I start eating steak every night? I don't know. It's not what it says. Should I listen to more music? Maybe I should listen to Jewish music? Should I listen to more music? It doesn't say that. Should I get married? Even though I don't really know the guy yet? It doesn't say that. So, Rabbi, the Rabbi doesn't say you have to be more happy, but they don't tell us how. So, how am I supposed to, how, how do you think, anyone in this room, maybe you can help me out, how do you think the rabbis want you to be more happy in Ado. What are you supposed to do? Supposed to go dancing? What are you supposed to do? Yes, what do you think? Doesn't say that though. You should daven more? What happens if that doesn't make you happy? You're right, it's very nice what you're saying, but does it does like I, I think if we went into this room right now and say, girls, okay, I want you to be more happy tomorrow, I want you to daven more. I don't know if it's going to work. Maybe for some people, but most people, I don't think it's going to work. Maybe if it says you, ha- you can daven less, that will make you happy. I don't know. Let's be real. You know I'm very real. Like, daven more? Yes, what do you think? That's very nice. You have to do that all year. Does it always make you happier? Depends why you're doing it. Okay, make, but it doesn't say that. It should say, okay, more ch- do more chesed 
Mishnah do more chesed. Don't say that. Yes. So why why only not why another? Why not in Nisa? Nisa is much bigger. Nisa is Pesach. So I, I have to tell you something. There was a very smart woman in Ornava a few years ago. I said, how come it doesn't say Mishinichnas Nisan? Marvin Mishimcha. Nisan is Pesach. She said, are you crazy? You know how hard I have to do to clean Pesach? I should be happier in Pesach? That's for sure not the month that Marvin Mishimcha. I said, yeah, but some people go to a hotel. So then Marvin Mishimcha, you don't have to do anything. Just sell the whole house. So it seems to be that we're learning something very important in this Mishinichnas Adar Marvin Simcha. That simcha doesn't come from doing things. Simcha doesn't come from go buy a new dress in Adar. Right? Because it says on Yantif you're supposed to buy a new dress and a husband's supposed to buy his wife a new dress. But in Adar it doesn't say, that's covered for the Yantif, but it doesn't say go buy a new dress, go eat more meat, go eat, go drink more wine. You know why? Because outside things, outside details, don't make you happy. They make you happy for a moment, but they don't make you a happy person. So there's nothing that they could say in the Shulchan Aruch, Mishinichnas Adar, buy a dress. That doesn't make me a happy person. Um, make a million dollars. There are people who have a million dollars that are miserable, and there are people who have no money that are the, I know, happiest people in the whole world. And there are, there are girls who are single who are happy, and there are girls who are single who are miserable, and there are girls who are married who are happy, and there are girls who are married that are miserable. No thing, no thing, like you always say, when I get, when I get married, I'm going to be, I'm, I'm miserable right now, but when I get married, I'm going to be happy. Then you're married, you're like, I'm still miserable. When I have kids, when I have kids, I'm going to be happy. And then you have kids and you're still miserable, and you're like, yeah, it's because we don't have any money. But when I have money, I'm going to be happy. And then you have money, you're still not happy. And you're like, looking for happiness. Happiness is not from without. Happiness is from within. But Rabbi Wallace said, okay, it's very nice, but how do I get that? Okay, so now you're making it even worse. I thought if I buy something, maybe the new iPhone, I'll be happy. I thought I'm going to go buy a new dress tomorrow, I'm going to be happy. Now, Wallace, you're telling me that even that's not going to make me happy. Oh my gosh, nothing can make me happy. Yes. Explain what you're saying. There's no happiness. Except for clarity. Now you're getting close. So there's no happiness unless you have clarity. Okay, you can't be happy if you're not clear. But that's very much close. It's, it's right, right where the answer is. It also says, "Ain't simchel babasa." There's no happiness unless you have basa v'yayin, unless you have meat and wine. It's a different simcha. It's a different simcha, because when the meat and wine is over, where's the simcha? Right? You had a good steak. You went out to eat. Went to Harbor Grill in Florida. We went to some good restaurant here, and you had like, "Wow, that was an amazing meal." And it was sangria, and we had wine, and everything's great. And you wake up the next morning, it's like, I still you got still telephone bill, I got still electric bill. Nothing really changed. Yes. So it changed itself? It's changing something? Okay. Depends what you're changing. But it's all it's all it's it, right, you're right, it's all inner, but I'll tell you what makes the person the happiest. Yes. Okay, that's how do you get to that? That's not so simple, right? <laughs> what? So, okay, so this was a discussion we had for half an hour today in my seminary class. Content and happiness is not the same thing. Content is a shava al-tasa. It's like, I'm good. Happiness is much more outgoing. It's more of a fire. Content is like more of a glow. I'm content. Everything is good. 
Now, what you're saying, what you're saying is a Mishnah. Right? Who is an Ezu Usher? Hasomeach, which is happiness, the Chalko. Who is happy? A person who is content with his Chalik in life. So, what? Okay, so it's all, so there's many different details here. There's accepting, and there's clarity, and there's all these other things. So, you're saying that when it comes to Ador, I should accept more people. Um, I should be happy with what I have. Why Ador? You should be doing that all year round. The mission doesn't say, There's something going on in Ador that's different than any other month of the year. Yeah. So what about what about Nisan seeing Hashem make the miracles? So what what you're saying is the thing that Adar has different than any other month is Nistar. God is hidden, and you get to understand that He's there at all times, because there is no mention of Hashem's name in the Megillah. And the whole Megillah's Esther, I could, I could tell you that story tonight, and you would think I'm reading a book for you. You would think that it, it's, it's, a, it's a Broadway show. There was a king, Achishverosh. There was a guy, Haman. Haman really wanted to be the king because Achishverosh didn't have royal blood. He was just like a, a horse, horse stable guy. And the one that had the royal blood was, was his wife, right? And Vashti. And Haman wanted to become king, so he had to get rid of Vashti. So he got Achishverosh to kill Vashti. Now he tried to kill Mixa Vaseros, tried to poison Achishverosh. Who was behind that was Haman. He gets rid of Vashti, he gets rid of Achishverosh. He's the next king. Regular Persian royalty, you know, drama. Go movie. Kills his wife. This guy tries to kill him. They get killed. Beautiful girl marries the king. King loves the beautiful girl. Beautiful girl whispers in the king's ear. This guy's trying to kill my family, king everyone. He hangs him, gives the girl the ring. Happy birthday. Everyone's happy. Nice Broadway show. Everybody went to see it. Purim on Broadway. Where's Hashem? The ocean didn't open up and swallow anybody. There weren't frogs jumping all over the place. The water didn't turn into blood. The world, the, the, the earth didn't shake. Hashem is in this story. In every single part of the story, you totally don't see him. Every time it says the word Hamelech in the Megillah, it's talking about Hashem, and we don't know. It doesn't say Hashem. He's hidden. He's totally hidden. When a person realizes that in your life, there's stuff you don't see, there's stuff that hurts, is all from Him, and that in the end you should know that He always loves you, and there's a plan, because the whole story of the whole, the whole story of Purim is this huge plan. And you see all the moving parts, and in the end, how, many, you know, how everything, everything happens, they go to the party, all the movie you see Hashem pulling up, but it doesn't say Hashem, it just looks like, when you realize that God is in your life, when you see Him and when you don't, because when you see Him, okay, that's Nissan. You don't need me to tell you to be happy if I bought you a present. I was just telling you, there was a, a, a guy that I know that his wife, the Super Bowl was this past Sunday, and every guy wants to watch the Super Bowl. And his wife said, you can't watch the Super Bowl. We have to go visit my father. He's not well. And the guy's like, well, where's your father after the Super Bowl? She goes, no, we have to go now. And they had this big fight, right? 
And, and he said, I can't believe it. I, I wanted to bring my friends over and watch the Super Bowl. I never missed the Super Bowl. I have money on the Super Bowl. Ah! He was freaking out. His wife was like, we're going to visit my father. You're not going to go visit my father. He's not feeling well. So the guy at that moment really felt his wife doesn't love. You don't, you, don't, you don't care about me. You're like, how can you do this to me? Like, we'll go to your father tomorrow. We'll go tonight. What? What are you going to do? She, she didn't let go. They come to the father's house. And he opens the door. And every one of his friends is there. The whole family is there. It was his 40th birthday. It was like in a week or two from that day was his 40th birthday. So she made a surprise party like you would not believe, right? They had the Super Bowl. They had a 52-inch thing. All his friends were there. The family was there. They had food and ribs and stuff and presents. And, and, the, and the kids were singing, were, were doing grommet. It was the most amazing birthday party that you could ever imagine. So what happened when he went home that night? He said to his wife, I can't believe you, you, you weren't going to let me watch the Super Bowl. He's just like, Wow. I thought you really didn't care about me. And now I realize you did this whole thing. You made up that your father's sick. And you planned this. And you got and you got a party planner. And you invited all my friends. And you set this up. I never knew you loved me that much. But when she was telling him, no, you're not watching the Super Bowl, he was like, I gave my whole life to this woman. Look what she's doing to me. So we, in our life, sometimes, Hashem said, we think Hashem saying no. Right? And we're like, I can't believe I'm such a good girl. You know, I stopped listening to music and, and, and my Watson got me to give up my phone and I don't talk to guys anymore and, 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 and I'm davening chakras and, and now everything fell apart. I lost my job. I can't believe you did this to me, Hashem. And, and we're like that guy. Right? And Hashem's like, no, it's a plan. The job that you're going to get, you, this is a dead end job. The job you're going to get is, is a very famous story about this man who came from Europe and he had nothing and he knew how to do nothing and he came to work on the east side. And he had a job, they gave him a job as a shamus, cleaning the farm, right? A shamus. Terrible job, made a little bit of money. And then the rabbi's cousin came from Europe, and they had no job for him, and this guy wasn't his cousin, and they fired him. They said, we're really sorry, but, but we have to hire this guy. And it was like the worst day of his life. He had no money. He was a, little, a, gabba, a shamus, not a gabai. So he had to go find a job. So he, he, he was a peddler. He, he became a peddler. He started off buying like a coat or two and having a push cart and selling it. Anyway, he became the owner, I believe, he became the owner of Lord & Taylor. Now, he would have never become the, the, the owner of Lord & Taylor department store if he would, have, he would have stayed his whole life as a shamus. So the best thing that God could do to him was that he got fired. You think when he got fired, he was like, Mazel Tov, it's great. Of course not. He was like, I can't believe it, Hashem. I went through the Holocaust. I get to America. I have nothing to eat. And the rabbi's cousin has to come to the shul. Yeah. And Hashem was like, no, no. I'm, getting, I'm pushing you out because you would never leave this job. And, and I'm going to push you into something much bigger. When a person realizes that, and that's what Purim is, because Purim has some shine, sign that we're going to all die and everyone's going to die. It looks so bad. And meanwhile, in every part of the Megillah, God is there. My whole life changes. I'm like... Oh my gosh, he's there when I see him, and he's there when I don't see him? That's Simcha. So that's Sameach with Chalko. That's all, that's clarity, right? I have a clarity that Hashem is there. I realize Sameach with Chalko means that even when things are bad, I'm happy because that's my Chalik. That's what Hashem is giving to me. Must be for my good. All these words of Simcha are all in this, what I'm telling you, is understanding that God is there when you don't think he's there. When there's a big party being planned and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm missing the Super Bowl. I can't believe she's doing this to me. And you walk in, you're like, how much work did she put in? Party planners and to get all the friends to come and to get her father to give the house and to...
she had to go through so much. And you know, you know how girls are. It had to be the perfect party. And she had him the perfect present that he always wanted. It was like a titanium. He's a biker. Like a bicycle that he was always dreamed of, but I can't afford it. She got him the bike. And, every, and he was like, oh my gosh, look how much work. Look at the details. If we understood the things that we don't understand, the details that Hashem does in order that good things should happen to us, even though it looks like it's not good, we'd be like, wow, you really love me. You know, it's great when things are good, when things are bad. You don't love me. That's, you know, I always say there's only one God. you know why? Why is there only one God? Because nobody else wants the job. Why? Because when people do well, they're like, you know what I'm doing? I'm a smart... I, I, I graduated a good high school, and I got into an amazing college, and I, I, got, I had an average of 4.0, so I got the best job... And that's why I'm doing well. I'm pretty. That's why I got this guy. Right? And Hashem's like, no. I did this for you. So when people do well, we take the credit. The minute something goes wrong, Hashem, how could you do this? I don't understand. How could you do this to me? How could you do this to me? Right? Hashem's like, one second. When things are good, you, it's your credit. When things are bad, it's my credit. Like, what kind of job is that? So when people do well and they're having a good life... I'm smart, I invested right, I'm, 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 I'm intelligent, I'm this, I'm not really smart, but I'm street smart, and I'm book smart, and I'm this smart, and everything's you. And then when things are going wrong, what happened to the smart? It's like, Hashem, how'd you do this to me? I don't understand, why are you tripping me up? Like, why are you doing this to me? Who wants a job like that? People do good, they take the credit, people do bad, they blame him. But, so let me explain to you what it really means. It's not something you can do. It's not, they're not going to tell you, eat meat, drink wine, buy a dress, buy yourself a new car, get a Lexus, right? No, because that's not real happiness. What's real happiness? Happiness is a state of mind. It's a state of mind which becomes a state of being. Happiness is realizing that God is always with me. So, when Ador comes in and you think about Purim, and you think about Nes Nistar, the simcha becomes greater. It's not you make more simcha. No, it's not what it means, that you make more simcha. Mar ben besimcha. There is more simcha, because, because Ador stands for Purim, and Purim stands for understanding that Hashem is always with me. And that's this month. And, that, and, this, and we, have, we have two months of this this year. We have an Adorisha, and we have an Adorashani. Two months to come to realization, no matter what's going on in my life, it, the puppeteer, the one who's pulling the strings, is God. And therefore, whatever happens is happy. Uh, I'll tell you two stories, and we'll end with this. I'll tell you two stories. I think I, and, and Mitzvah Shem next week, we'll do the, we'll do the Toma Devaro. I'll tell you two stories. One story is, there's a guy who lived in Williamsburg. I might have said it last week. I don't know, maybe I did, maybe I didn't. There's a guy who lives in Williamsburg, and he has a friend in Borough Park. And the friend in Borough Park calls the guy in Williamsburg, and he says... I need ten thousand dollars. Guy in Williamsburg says, I, I, "I don't really have that kind of money." He says, I, "I just need it for a week. Just give me ten thousand dollars for one week. I promise you, I'll pay you back in a week." Okay, it's his friend. Okay, he lends it to him. Of course, a week later, he calls him up and says, "Can I get my uh, Can I get my ten thousand back?" He goes, "Well, the bank didn't come through. The deal's still whatever. I need another week." Anyway, girls, I've been through this. Okay, lending people money. 
and it's a month, and it's another month, and the bank, and this, and soon, and that, and it's a year, and it's two years, and he still didn't get his money back. Finally, after two years, the guy from Butter Park who borrowed the money called the guy from Williamsburg and tells him, listen, I got $5,000. If you come to my house right now, right now, I'll give you the $5,000, but on one condition, you forgive me for the other five. Otherwise, don't bother coming. That says to himself, I'm waiting for two years. This guy's never going to pay me back. Right? One bird in the hand is better than two birds in the bush. I'm coming. I'll take the five. Forget the other five. I want to get, I want to get something back. He gets it to his car. Leaves Williamsburg. He's on the BQE. He's doing like 85 miles an hour because you know this guy, if he doesn't get there really fast, he's going to give the money to someone else. He probably owes the whole world money. He's flying all of a sudden Highway 2. Ooh, behind him, the cop with the leather boots and the hat and the whole works. The meanest guys you ever see, Highway 2, is pulling him over. He's, he's looking up at Hashem and saying, I don't understand. I did the biggest mitzvah. One of the biggest mitzvahs is lending another Jew money. I did the biggest mitzvah. I lent another Jew money. The only reason I'm speeding is because this guy's ripping me off. But I agreed to be Michael the $5,000, right? To get these 5000 So now you're going to give me a ticket? A speeding ticket at 85 miles an hour? The guy's going to take away my license? That's how you pay me back for doing a mitzvah? And then the cop's standing by the window. So he finished talking to Hashem. He opens the window. The policeman says, license and registration. You know you're going 85 miles an hour? You're going 35 miles above the, the speed limit? I am going to take your license away. And he's thinking to himself, Hashem, my license! How am I going to get to work? This is how you reward someone who does something good. He turns to the cop and says, I just, want, I just want to tell you what happened. The cop says, yes. You know, because they always have a story. Yes. I'm a friend. And I lent $10,000 two years ago. And he just called me up. And he said, if, if I rush to borrow Park and give back the $5,000, at least I'll get my $5,000 back. The, the cop says, oh, I've heard many stories. You know, at least you're not telling me you're pregnant. And you're going to the hospital, right? I've heard a million different stories. And you don't have to go to the bathroom. He said, this I never heard. The guy says, here's the deal, policeman. You come with me. If it's, if it's true, don't give, me a, don't give me a summons. If it's not true, you can take my license. Now that you can take my license, you can take me and put me in jail. The policeman says, really? Okay. The police goes in front of him with the things on. And they fly to Borough Park. They get to Borough Park, come to the apartment building. It's apartment 8H. They go up the thing. He knocks on the door. The guy, right? the guy who owes him the money opens the door. Who's standing there? A cop in leather boots, with a gun, with a leather hat, and he, and he sees his friend with the cop, and he says, oh my God, okay, it's true, it's true, I have it all, and he gives him the 10. <laughs> so was it bad that he got pulled over for a ticket, or was it good? It's the best thing that ever happened, he would have never gotten 10. The guy was so scared, he saw a cop standing there, he said, I really, really have it all, and he gave him the 10. It's just a story, right? But you understand, like, I understand you, Hashem. How could you do this to me? I'm getting a ticket. I did the biggest mitzvah. And Hashem's like, the only way you're going to get back to this 10 is if you show up there with a highway cop that looks like that. So I'm going to set this whole thing up that you get pulled over. Because he was saying like, I always speed on the BQE. I never get pulled over. Now today I have to get pulled over. And it's going to waste time. I'm going to get there late. He's not going to give me the money. Meanwhile, because of the whole thing, he got all his money. When you know that, when you, when you take it internally and you know that no matter what I'm going through, it's for my good, it's, it's, it's simcha. It's clarity. It's semech b'chalko. It's, it's a different life. Second story. Now, I don't know why. I said this story over, I was Shabbos by Shabbaton. The kid of Tuni, Chesidish Shabbaton. I said over the story, nobody got it. But I said it over again in class, nobody got it. I'm hoping you girls will get it. 
And they got it, of course, after I explained it to them, but the whole chap is not to explain it to them. So there's this, there's this king, we'll end with this. There's this king, and he loves to go hunting. And when he goes hunting because they're chasing animals, he always brings his doctor, the king's doctor, with him. So he's going hunting with the king's doctor, and they're running really fast. And the, the king gets his finger caught in a tree, and it's lacerated. It gets cut very badly. So he stops, but he, he, right with him is, is the doctor. He says to the doctor, what are you going to do? The doctor says, we have to stitch it up. You're going to lose your finger. So he stitches up the finger, and the king says to the doctor, am I going to be okay? The doctor says, I don't know. Maybe yes, maybe no. I don't know. I did my best. A week later, it's all infected. The king comes back to him. He says, oh, my gosh, my finger's all red. It's all infected. He says, yeah, okay, we have to soak it. We got to put bacitrates and neosporin on it, right? And he does, and he puts it on it. And two weeks later, he comes back to the doctor. He says, oh, my God, the whole finger is green. And, and I got a whole line going down my finger. It's already going down my arm. He says, that's, that's blood poisoning. You're really in a lot of trouble. We're going to have to amputate. Amputate? You're going to cut off my finger. He says, well, I don't cut off your finger. You're dead. So they put him under, they have an operation, and they cut off the finger. The, the, the king wakes up, he looks at his hand, his pinky's missing. He's like, I'm going to teach this doctor a lesson. He calls the doctor, his doctor, and he says, because of you, I lost my finger, I'm going to put you in my dungeon. No food, rats. No food, no drink. Uh, my finger turned green, you're going to die and turn green. And we're never going to bury you, we're going to leave you there for the rats. Okay, the king's really angry, he lost his finger. So... They put, the, they put the doctor in the, in the jail, and he's rotting away, right? First day he's there, the king says, okay, I don't have a finger, but we still go hunting. So he takes his soldiers with him to go hunting. No doctor, okay. Anyway, they get attacked by these savages, and the savages kill all the soldiers. And they capture, they capture the king, right? They have the king. They take the king. They have this, this chevra of savages. They're into human sacrifice. That's what they do. They bring up human beings to their god. Okay, so they take him, they take him up to the Mizbeach, right? They take him to the Mizbeach, they tie him up, they put flowers all over him and vegetables and whatever, and the, the medicine man is dancing around the altar, he's all tied up, right? And the, the guy's ready with the big sword to chop his head off, and he's dancing and he's dancing, and all of a sudden he goes, no good. We can't, we can't use him as a sacrifice. Everyone's like, what? We're about to, he says, he has a mum, he's missing a finger. We can't bring to our God, an, a blemished person? No, it has, the person has to be perfect. Untie him. We can't bring up someone missing a finger. Untie him, let him go. The king's like, thank God the guy chopped my finger off. Otherwise, I'd be, my head would be chopped off. So he wants to thank the, the doctor. He runs to the prison, opens up the door, pulls him out. He's hugging and kissing him. And he's like to the doctor, he's like, I, can't, I don't even know how to thank you. You know, that's amazing. He says, tell me what happened. He says, they captured me and they put me on. They were about to chop my head off. And because you took my finger off and I only had nine fingers, my life was saved. So the doctor says, well, then I have to thank you. You don't have to thank me. And the king says, why do you have to thank me? He goes, because I got ten fingers. See, you didn't get it either. Had he not put him in jail and he would have been with the king, he would have been the sacrifice. Because he has ten fingers. So you have two people in this story. You have two people. I had the same thing this Shabbos. So you have two people in this story. One guy got his finger chopped off. And one guy's in a dungeon. And because he got his finger chopped off, his life was saved. And because he's in a dungeon, his life was saved. So both of them are in the worst place. One guy lost a finger. The other guy's in a dungeon left to die. And because these two guys were in such a bad place, that's what saved their life.
That is what Hashem is all about. Even if Chatzon, I don't mean your finger got caught up. Something really bad happened that might have happened because it had to save your life. You maybe had to go through that because something much worse was coming down the line. I'll tell you one more thing. We have another two minutes. So, I don't get to sleep very early at night normally. We're talking two, three o'clock. It used to be a lot worse. So, when I finally get to sleep, I crash. I totally crash. And what I do is I put my, my phone on silent because I'm going to go to sleep at 3 and I'm going to get up at 7. I can't have my phone on ringing because some person calls me from Israel. They didn't, oh, I didn't realize it's 7 hours different. Or from England. Like it's 4 o'clock in the morning. Hello? Oh, oh, I, I thought you were in Israel. I don't live in Israel. I was in Israel. Right. You're not in England? I'm like, no, I'm not in England. So I got smart and when I go to sleep, I put it on silent. Right? So, and that's it. You can't reach me for those four hours. Somebody else will have to help. One night, I came home. I was very busy with some girls, whatever it was. And I finally got home at 3 o'clock. I was dead. A whole week, was, I was dead tired. You know, you get undressed. You get into, under your blanket. You put your head on your pillow. What's the worst thing that can happen to a man? You get undressed. You go under your blanket. You put your head on your pillow, and you're like, oh, my gosh, I didn't die my roof. I got to get out of bed, get dressed, go to Shemr Shabbos, who has a minion. And last night I was there at 2.30, for whatever reason. I died my at 2.30, and I thought, I looked in the shul at the other 14 guys, I'm like, I'm nuts. But like, why would you be up at 2.30, right? After we finished, they had a 10 to 3 minion. So what, people in the hospital, they, wife just gave birth, they're with the wife the whole time, because it's next to my monitor, Shemr Shabbos. So they have my riff till 3 a.m. People get off planes, whatever it is, right? So, so I'm dead tired. So, so the worst thing that can happen is, oh my God, I didn't die my life. You got to get out of bed. You got to get dressed. You got to go out. The best thing that can happen to a man is you get undressed. You go into your blanket. You put your head on your pillow and you're like, oh my gosh, I didn't die my... Oh, yes, I did. <laughs> the best thing. That's the best thing. So, I mean, that you really did. Like, you're diving early that night and you're like, right. Anyway, this is a true story. So I... So, and it's a very important story. So, so it's 3 o'clock, 3.15... And I go to sleep, and I forget. sometimes I just forget. I'm so tired, I didn't put my phone on silent. See, for my phone, I don't know an iPhone, maybe it's a switch. My phone to go to silent, you've got to push the button six times. This is a volume. Five, six, five, four, three, two, one. Vibrate, silent, alarm, right? So it's a whole mic. So, so if you're not really awake, you don't, you don't, right, okay. My mom is just going into that world, and my phone rings. I'm like, oh my gosh. I, and I, once it rings, I have to answer. I'm not... I'm not going to not answer. If it rings, not. So I'm like half asleep. I'm dizzy because I didn't fall asleep yet. I'm like, hello? Hello, this is Mil Basin Hatsala. I'm like, what's going on? Hatsala. One of your girls is in, our, is in the bus. I call it the bus. Is in the bus and we, she needs to go to the hospital and she's kicking and fighting and pulling all the stuff out. And she said, I'll only go to the hospital if Rabbi Walston goes with me. I'm like, no. Just take her to the hospital. They're like, She's screaming. I hear her screaming. And she's throwing up, and she's in a very bad way. And I'm like, okay, Mill Basin is 25 minutes. I'll get 25 minutes of sleep. I'm like, so where are you guys? They're like, we're in your driveway. <laughs> True story. I look out the window. There's an ambulance in my driveway. And the guy's like, <laughs> I'm, uh, it's, three, four, it's like 3.30 in the morning. I'm getting dressed. It's cold. It was a cold night. I'm dizzy. I don't even know what world I'm in. I'm like, Hashem, why? 
I'm serious. That's what I said. I said, like, I worked a whole day today. I, I, you know, why? Okay. I was upset. I was really upset because I worked the whole day. I was with these kids, that, those kids the whole night. She owed, she took something she shouldn't have. She's very sick. Let her go to the hospital. Let her sleep it off, right? Sometimes you're a little selfish. I want to sleep a little bit. Anyway, I get into the ambulance. She's on the gurney. She's barfing her brains out, right? She doesn't even see that I'm there because she's throwing up. And they're like, you know, really thank you for coming. And then she looks at me. Oh, we're like, we're well, here. So she stopped fighting. And I'm sitting on the side. There's like a, a, a bench. And the, and the ambulance is going through my monitors and we're shaking. I'm like. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I have this thought. On Rosh Hashanah, everything's written. Everything's written. On Rosh Hashanah, they wrote in my book that at 3.21, Tuesday evening, that date, Wallstein's going to be in an ambulance. They didn't write how. Will he be having a heart attack? Will he be having a kidney stone? Will he be with one of his kids? Will he be with his wife in the ambulance? You're going to be in an ambulance because they write everything. How you're going to be in an ambulance depends on how you behave. If you're a person that a whole day was helping Hashem's kids, Hashem's like, you know what? Really, you could have had a heart attack that night, but instead of having a heart attack, you're going to be in the ambulance helping someone else. Not only are you not going to be sick, but you're going to be doing a mitzvah that you're going to get that aiding for. Where you're going to be, girls, is written. How you're going to be there is up to you. And I said, good to go. You want me to hold the basin she's throwing up in? I'll hold the basin. No problem. Because I'm on the ambulance and I'm not sick. I'm on the ambulance and I'm helping someone. So when we do chesed with kids with cancer, with, with all the people that we help, right? you're going to be in that hospital, girl. It's written you're going to be in the hospital. But if you're about chesed and you visit kids and that's what you do all the time, then you'll be in the hospital doing a mitzvah of visiting a kid. But if you're not, then something's going to happen to you. You're going to be in the hospital for your mother, for your father, for a brother, for a sister, for someone, for yourself, whatever it is. It's up to you why you're going to be in that hospital. That was a very scary night. But that was a very good night for me. Because after that, I don't complain. Two o'clock, four o'clock, whatever I have to do, I had to be there anyway. My father, my father had, the, had cancer, and he was very, very sick. And I was very close to him. And I watched him die. Three months, I was, I was the night shift. I sat with my father at night, and I took him to the bathroom, and when he was in a coma, I put you know, ice in his lips, whatever it was. I stayed up all night, every single night, because that was my father, and I watched my father die. Right after he died, after the shiver, one of my, one of my Talmud and one of my boys had a baby. And like three weeks afterwards, I called him, and I said, I, I'll make up a name, I said, Mayor, you know, how's it going? He says, I, it's, it's crazy. I said, what's wrong? He says, I'm up all night. My, ch- my, my baby's colic, and, and, and my wife's not nursing, and I'm, I'm up all night with him, and he doesn't stop crying. And I'm like, you're so crazy lucky. He says, what do you mean? I said, oh, Shoshana, they wrote, they wrote, I'm going to be up all night, and they wrote, you're going to be up all night. Except you're, all on, you're up all night with your new baby, and I'm up all night watching my father die. But we're both going to be up all night. So be very happy that you're holding a baby that's crying all night. Because you're going to be up all night, because that's what's written. How are you going to be up all night? That's what counts. That's the month of Adar. The month of Adar is realizing that the stuff that's hidden, right, the stuff that bothers you, may be the best thing that ever happened to you. And that, I am now much more besimcha. Because if someone calls me at 3 o'clock and I have to be in an ambulance, I'm like, thank God I'm not the one on the gurney. I'm helping the person that's on the gurney. And I, I tell I tell the guys all the time, like, it could be you were written that you'd be, you'd be a really sick kid. 
and that your, your whole life you'd be going back and forth to hospitals. But instead, you, st- you decided to be a Hatzalah guy, so you're going back and forth to hospitals, and you're saving people. You choose. In, in Shemayim, they don't... Mavirin is Roya Hagzera. It says, if you give Tzedakah, Chuva, Tila, Mavirin is Roya Hagzera. It... It changes the gezerah. That's what you say in the Sanatoike, if I knew Kippur Rosh Hashanah. It doesn't say you break the gezerah. It doesn't say the gezerah is ripped, ripped, ripped up. It doesn't say that. It's not ripped up. The gezerah is, you're going, be, you're going to be in an ambulance. You're going to be in a hospital. Mavirin is roa. They take the bag. You're not going to be the one on the gurney. You're going to be helping your kid. You're not going to be the one sick in the, in the hospital room. You're going to be visiting someone. Tzedakah and Tvila, Mavirin is roa gezerah. The gezerah, you're going to be where you're going to be. But how are you going to be in that place? You're going to be in a rehab, not because you're visiting your daughter. Every time I go to rehab, I'm like, Hashem, I am very happy and proud to be visiting these kids because I have to be in a rehab today. It could be my kid. It could be my grandkid. It could be my brother. But because it's what I do and I'm visiting other people's kids, it doesn't have to be them. It changes your whole psyche about life. So, yes, that that made me much more besimcha. So I don't mind being woken up and going to a hospital and sitting with someone in a hospital because I know I have to be in that hospital that night. But I'm doing a, I'm doing a chesed instead of being laying in the bed and someone else doing a chesed with me. And that brings simcha. And that's Adam. Adam The month of Adam comes and Hashem is nister and you know that nister and nigla it's all the same. It's all the same God. Automatically you become more happy. It's from within. Thank you very much. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.